That hymn, of course, is taken from the text which I read from a few moments ago, and so I want to call your attention to it now. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And we'll read the closing verses beginning at verse 28. Matthew 11, 28. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is no offer of salvation more free than this given by our Savior himself. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This saying by our Lord, this this gracious and open invitation is most remarkable in view of the context in which he spoke it. And I read that context earlier, beginning in verse 20, where the Lord issues a stern warning to unrepentant people as a whole in these various cities. Verses 21 through 24, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And then, in the verses in between, verses 25 through 27, we see the Lord Jesus in his own soul rejoicing in the whole plan and purpose of God the Father. To do two things. To hide things from some and to reveal them to others. It is not something that Jesus was ashamed of. It is something that he thanked the Father for. He was of one mind and in perfect agreement with the purpose of the Father to hide on the one hand and to reveal on the other hand. To hide these things from the wise and prudent, the self-righteous, and to reveal them on the other hand unto what he calls babes, the humble, the small. In all of this context, then, perhaps the last thing that we would expect is what comes next here in our text. This open invitation, and more than an invitation, it's an imperative, it's a command. Come, you must come. And for this, as 
were the, the door of salvation to be thrown wide open and the Lord to implore unworthy sinners to come in and come to him for salvation. It's just an amazing text of scripture. It's a marvelous passage before us today. The proud, self-righteous, Christ-rejecting Jews were the target of this judicial hardening and this hiding of the things of God from them because they had rejected the light that God had shown them in His Son. But to those who were weary, laboring, and heavy laden, as He says, there is this tender appeal to come and find rest. And so, The end of verse 27, it ends on this note, Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. None of us will know the true and living God unless Christ opens our hearts, opens our eyes, enables us to see him and know him. We are dependent upon the revealing work of the Son to show us the Father. What we have then here, beginning in verse 28, among other things, is how the Son reveals the Father. How does it happen? It happens in connection with and in conjunction with the general outward call of the gospel. And that is what we have here in these verses. This outward call that is issued to all who hear it. None are excluded. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. How does the Son reveal the Father? Well, he reveals him in connection with this general outward call of the gospel. Now, some insist that the text before us is not the outward general call, but it's actually the inward effectual call. And they hone in on these words, labor and heavy laden, as if they are exclusive rather than inclusive. In other words, Jesus is only gearing his, his message to a certain group here. But I believe that we better understand this passage by seeing this as the outward call of the gospel, as the context in which the inward call is made. By the Spirit of God. The outward call is addressed to all, even if they do not recognize their need. Even if they don't realize that they are laboring and heavy laden, nevertheless, they are. Well, having said those things in way of introduction, let me just point out some features here of this wonderful text. And the first thing is this. 
let us look at the condition in which sinners come to Christ. And it is these very words, labor and heavy laden. What are the circumstances in which a soul is who comes to Christ? It is a soul that is described here as laboring and being heavy laden. That is, laboring speaks of being weary, worn out, exhausted, and carrying a heavy load, loaded down under a heavy burden, in other words. So who is this? It is all of us by nature. It is all of us in our natural state as sinners in Adam. We may not recognize it, but it is nonetheless true. We are all laboring and heavy laden as long as we are lost and in our sins. Now, let me divide this, though, into some categories. First of all, some labor under a heavy load of obvious sin. Outward sin, or even inward sin. They make no profession of faith in Christ. They want nothing to do with Christ. And they are under this heavy load of sin. Those sin promises pleasure and fun and ease. It never delivers. Instead, it brings misery and shame. It brings trouble to the conscience. There's no true happiness pursuing sin. There's no satisfaction, only dissatisfaction. There's no peace, only conflict. Our Lord here uses the word rest both in verse uh, 28 and in verse 29. As long as we are in our sinful state, however, there's no rest. There's no peace. Instead, there's labor. There's the toil. There's weariness. We wear ourselves out in our sins. And there's conflict, trouble, agitation, Sin has brought conflict in every realm and aspect of life. Inward conflict. Again, that troubled conscience, that feeling of guilt. There's conflict not only within, there's conflict without. Conflict with others. Conflict in the home. Conflict at work. Conflict with neighbors, conflict between nations. There's trouble and conflict everywhere, at every level, on every hand. And though in our natural state we try very hard to be happy, we never find it. And the best we can do is try to convince others 
that we're happy in hopes that they will be deceived and in hopes that they will be envious of us because they think we're happy when we're really not. So much deception. And it's not just deceiving of others. Ultimately, in our sinful state, we deceive our own selves. And so what is the the, the condition in which sinners come to Christ? Oh, it's laboring under a burden, a burden that's too heavy to bear. And it wears us out. And we try every means and every method from binging on this and that and spending on this and that and drinking and doping and everything under the sun. Some try yoga. Every method to improve self and find peace and find joy and find rest. And if we're honest with our own soul and our own conscience, it's all in vain. And then, at last, and it always seems to come as a last resort, we come to Christ. And we find rest and find what we had been looking for that was so elusive until coming to Christ. But then on the other hand, there are some who labor under a heavy load of religion, or maybe we should say religiosity. Oh, they profess faith in Christ. They claim to know God. But their religion is a toil and a labor. It is a burden. It is a heavy load that wears them down and wears them out. And the Lord seems to be addressing this, especially here in the context. Many of our Lord's hearers on this day were encumbered with the regulations of the Pharisees and their interpretation of the law of Moses, which they understood they must fulfill, but they thought that they must fulfill it in order to gain favor with God. And unfortunately, they had no concept of the grace of God and the goodness of God, the unmerited favor of God given freely through Christ. Instead, they get on this this treadmill, as it were, a treadmill of their own works and their own efforts and self-righteousness. And you know, once you get on the treadmill, it's hard to stop. It just keeps going faster and faster. And you've got to run, and there's more and more to do. And it becomes an unbearable burden, an impossible task. Have I done enough? Am I good enough to satisfy God? And God in His grace sometimes 
And yes, oftentimes reveals to such ones the, the impossible task, the fool's errand upon which they run. They long for rest from a troubled conscience. And to them, obedience to God is a yoke which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear, as Peter says in Acts chapter 15, or as Paul says in Galatians 5, it's a yoke of bondage. And they come to the end of themselves and they've run all they can run on that treadmill of works righteousness and they become so desperate that they hear the voice of Jesus saying, Come unto me. Find rest. Sweet rest. So there are many different ways in which a person can be laboring and heavy laden. Inside of religion or outside of it. But our Lord says to all those in whatever the the particulars of their circumstances who are weary Worn out, loaded down with a heavy burden. Come to me. Now, what is it to come to Christ? This is his simple command. Come unto me. Notice, by the way, he does not say, go to Moses or anywhere else. But he says, come to me. You know, the message of Mount Sinai, you can read it in the book of Exodus, the message of Mount Sinai was not come. It was stay back. The message of the law to unbelievers is Stand back. There's no refuge here. There's no rest here. The message of the gospel in Christ is come. Come to me and find rest. What is it to come to Christ? It's to look to him and to depend upon him for righteousness. For what you need to be right with God and to be accepted by him. Our Lord is saying here in so many words, I am the Savior. Come to me and find all that you need in me. Find salvation in me. Find fellowship with God. Find restoration and rest in me. Coming to him is the same thing as believing on him. He says this in so many words in John chapter 6, verse 35, when he says, I am the bread of life. Now listen carefully to what he says. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Notice then the coming and the believing are synonyms. They both describe the same action of the soul in 
drawing near to Christ and depending upon him. Faith or believing or entrusting your case into his hands, depending on him. This is what it is to come to him in the biblical sense. And perhaps we need to be reminded that coming to Christ is not to be confused with coming to the front of a building at the close of a service when an emotional appeal is made to make some immediate decision and and make it public here and now as if God is not where you're seated, but he is somewhere up towards the front. And so to get close to God, you've got to move your feet and come up front. That's not what Jesus is talking about when he says, come unto me. And it's not coming to a preacher. It's not coming to a personal worker. It's not even coming to a church as such. It's coming to the person of Christ in your heart, trusting in him, finding rest for your soul in him. Notice next what those who come to Christ find. And I've already mentioned it. It's this simple word, rest. Mentioned twice here by our Lord. I will give you rest. Here is his promise. He who cannot lie. I will give you rest. And then at the end of verse 29, ye shall find rest unto your souls. This is a lovely word. And it is lovely, especially to those who know what it is to labor and to be loaded down and burdened down. What a lovely truth. What a wonderful thing to discover in Christ. What an elusive concept to those who have been laboring at self-righteousness and have never found rest. Or those who are laboring in their sins, trying to find the happiness that sin can never deliver. Oh, here is rest. Refreshment. Relief. Peace. Quietness. Contentment. This is what those who come to Christ find. And we find it in at least two aspects. We find it, first of all, immediately. Upon believing in Christ. The moment that we come to rest our soul upon him and look to him for righteousness, we find this wonderful rest. We rest from that treadmill of self-righteousness on the one hand, or we rest from the treadmill of pursuing sin and trying to find happiness in it. We rest from the never-ending quest to find peace and happiness where it can never be found. 
we find rest. We come to rest in Christ. And secondly, we find it not only immediately, but we find it ultimately. And I'm speaking of heavenly rest. And there are some passages of Scripture that specifically speak this way. Let me read a couple. Paul writes to the Thessalonians who were under tribulation and persecution for their faith. He says that their patience and faith in all the persecutions and tribulations that they endure is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. And then he points to eternity here. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, who who are being persecuted and receiving trouble from unbelievers in this world, it's a righteous thing with God to give you rest. Rest, he says, with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, and so on. Notice what he says. He says, as believers... You're presently troubled by enemies of the faith and enemies of Christ who have come against you. And he says, God is going to trouble them someday. And he's going to give you rest. There is an eternal rest for the people of God. And between now and then, The Lord's day is a shadow of that. It's a foreshadowing of the eternal rest that all of Christ's redeemed will enter into. In that sense, it is a kind of Sabbath. And you can read more detail about that as it's worked out in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. I'm tempted to look at that, but I think we'd better move on here. Let me read one more passage about the eternal rest and the ultimate rest that is coming for those who find rest in Christ. It's Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13. Familiar words. He says, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Here is heavenly rest, resting from our labors. And so there's a sense in which in coming to Christ, there is immediate rest for our souls that we enjoy throughout the Christian life in this world that conducts us to 
eternal rest and heavenly rest. But if you're still with me here in Matthew chapter 11, there's something else we need to notice, and that is the rest that Jesus is talking about here, as far as this life is concerned, it does involve a yoke. A yoke. A yoke is that instrument that was made for oxen to pull an instrument, to pull a wagon, to pull a plow. It's an instrument of labor and servitude. And the term was actually sort of used and and it morphed into this. A student who was being taught by a teacher was said to be under the yoke of that teacher. And that seems to be what our Lord is picking up on here and, and using in this illustration. He says, verse 29, take my yoke upon you. You know, the rest that Christ gives in this life is a most unusual kind of rest. It's rest that involves a yoke after all. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He mentions it again, verse 30, my yoke. Oh, but what a drastic change of yokes. Before coming to Christ, we're under the yoke of sin. We're laboring and heavy laden. Christ takes us out of that unbearable yoke and puts us under his yoke and come to find out As uh, Matthew Henry says, his yoke is lined with love. And there is a joy and a delight in being under his yoke. Jesus is saying in so many words, you've been under the yoke of bondage to sin long enough. You've been under that cruel master long enough. Now, come under my yoke. Take my yoke upon you. Enroll in my school. Become my disciple. Learn from me or learn of me. Let me be your teacher, your guide, your Lord. I, he says, am meek and lowly in heart. He is gentle. And humble, he is the best master that anyone could ever serve. He is considerate, he is caring and loving, so much so that serving him is a kind of rest. It becomes restful to us to labor for him. It's easier to serve Christ than to serve sin. Easier by far. Christ is a much better master. Yes, there is a yoke that we must wear. There is a burden. He mentions that in verse 30, but he says, my yoke is easy. He doesn't say, I don't have a yoke for you. He doesn't say, I don't have a burden for you. But he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's bearable. It's enjoyable. 
It's manageable. Reminds us, doesn't it, of Jacob back in the book of Genesis? He works hard for seven years. And it says that those seven years seemed like just a few days to him because he was serving in order to get Rachel as his wife. He is serving her father Laban. And because of the love that he had for Rachel, those seven years were just like uh, a few days of easy work. And so it is with those who find rest in Christ. Yes, sometimes the load is heavy. Sometimes the yoke is, is difficult at the moment. But all in all, it's much easier to serve Christ than to serve sin. Notice, if you will, the Lord does not make a promise of easy, carefree, irresponsible living, continuing in sin as if you'd never been saved at all and living as what some call the carnal Christian. No, far from it. Again, you read all of Scripture and you see there is spiritual warfare. There are trials and afflictions. There is perhaps imprisonment or even martyrdom. But listen, a bad day with Christ is better than the best day without Him. Better to suffer with Christ than to live a life of ease without Him. The worst day with Christ is better than the best day in sin. Listen to J.C. Ryle commenting on this. He says, rest such as this is the privilege of all believers in Christ. Some know more of it and some less. Some feel it only at distant intervals and some feel it almost always. Few enjoy the sense of it without many a battle with unbelief and many a conflict with fear. But all who truly come to Christ know something of this rest. Ask them, with all their complaints and doubts, whether they would give up Christ and go back to the world. You will get only one answer. End quote. And of course, that answer is no way. I'll stick with Christ. I'll take his yoke any day over the yoke of Satan and sin in this world. The Apostle Paul suffered much for Christ's sake. And yet, in the long-term perspective, he spoke of it all as a light affliction. A light affliction. He found Christ's yoke and burden relatively speaking, to be light. John tells us that Christ gives us commands to obey as his redeemed people, but his commands are not heavy, or as our translation says, grievous. 
He helps us to bear whatever he places upon us. You know, one old writer used this illustration. He said the western yoke has two loops in it. For two oxen, let's say, spiritually, there's always you as a Christian in, in, on one side and Christ on the other. And he helps bear with you. He's alongside you. And as Spurgeon says, he carries the heavy end of the load. He helps us to bear whatever he places upon us. So much so that serving him and even suffering for him is a delight. Again, listen to this illustration from one old writer. He says, I see a bird walking with folded wings which he carries as a little burden on his back. But he's not willing to part with his burden, for the burden which he carries often carries him. He needs those wings. And the Lord blesses our burdens to us and sanctifies our troubles and afflictions to us. Well, let me hasten to a couple of observations here before we conclude. Those who come to Christ find rest. What can be said for those who do not come to Christ? They do not find rest. They continue laboring in one way or another, laboring in their sin, laboring in their self-righteousness. Searching for rest in vain. They never escape from that unbearable load. They don't escape in this life, and they certainly don't escape in the life to come. And for this, I would ask you to turn with me to this passage once again. Revelation chapter 14. There's something here you need to see. I said in the previous hour, every time you read the Word of God, you see something new. Every time you open it, you see something you hadn't seen before. That was my experience here recently reading through this chapter. I read a few moments ago verse 13, which speaks of the everlasting rest of heaven for God's people. I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. But notice, if you will, two verses earlier, what is said about the ungodly and those who die in their sins in the fire of hell. It says in verse 11, The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest. No rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Oh, what a great contrast is here. While the redeemed who have come to Christ are at rest forever, those who have remained lost and in their sins have no rest forever. Hell will be unending torment 
and trouble, agitation, conflict, within, without. And conscience will tell them that it is all well-deserved. Those who do not come to Christ throughout eternity will no longer hear him say, come to me. They will hear him say, depart from me. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. This is one more reason to come to Christ and to come now. The Savior of sinners invites all to come to him. All who labor and are heavy laden. Do you need a Savior? Are you tired of laboring under the burden of sin and guilt and worthless efforts at improving yourself? Then, my friend, there's only one thing for you to do, and that's come to Christ. He invites you more than invite. He commands you. So much so that the only ones who are excluded are those who exclude themselves by their unbelief, their pride, their refusal to admit the true condition of their soul, who deceive themselves and say, Oh, I'm not weary. I'm not laboring. I don't have a heavy burden. I'm at rest without Christ. Oh, what a sad self-delusion. You want to ask such a one, then why is there all that perspiration on your brow? And why are there all those calluses on your hands and your feet And why are you so worn out? Don't tell me you're at rest spiritually. You're struggling and fighting and troubled and tormented. You're just too proud to humble yourself and admit it. That's why I say the only ones excluded from Christ's invitation here are those who exclude themselves. He says, come all. Imagine a room full of sick people and a physician comes into the room and he says, all who are sick, come. The only ones who don't come are those who deceive themselves. And some, on the one hand, will deceive themselves by saying, Well, I'm too sick. That physician can't help me in my present state. I need to improve some first. I need to get better a little bit. Then I'll come. And so it is 
with many who think they must improve themselves first before coming to Christ. Others, on the other hand, deceive themselves by saying, well, I'm not that sick. I know I'm not in perfect health, but I'm not that desperate. I'm not so sick as to need a physician. If I get worse, I'll come to him. And so it is with those who do not feel the weight and the burden of their sin before a holy God. I say it's self-deception. We might say it's satanic. The enemy of souls will deceive any way he can. He will tell you, you're too bad to come to Christ. You've got to get better first. Or he'll tell you, you're too good. You need to get worse before you think about coming to Christ. Listen, my friend. Wherever you are, in whatever symptoms of sin are presently manifested in you, whether you're conscious of of it or not, I can assure you, you need Christ and you need to come to him. And you must come to him just as you are. Don't exclude yourself from his gracious Salvation and His gracious promise. Will you come? Will you come to Him and find rest? Heavenly Father, we pray for Your Spirit to work in every one of our hearts today. We pray that those who are outside of Christ would come to him. We pray that those who have come to him would draw closer to him and renew their faith in him. Help us all. Do your work in us for your glory, we pray. Thank you for such a Savior and such a gracious salvation. Thank you that we find all that we need in him. Thank you for the rest that you give us in him and the heavenly rest that we look forward to. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing a hymn together. And we'll stand together as we sing number 400. I'm going to change it. I want to sing 402. You want to sing this hymn that's so familiar. We used the tune earlier. But I learned yesterday that this hymn, Amazing Grace by John Newton, was first sung 250 years ago today. So it's fitting that we should sing it together. John Newton wrote a hymn every week for many years. 
for the church that he ministered to in England. And this was just one for the Lord's Day, which was the first day of a new year 250 years ago. Let's sing to the Lord. 